What is up? We are back on this Tuesday, July 6th. This is episode 64 of Football Life Presents the Audible. I am your host, Randy Hammond, in a rainy, stormy upstate New York, alongside my co-host, Matt Bushnell, who's cooking out there in Arizona. Matt, how's it going, man? It's hot, Randy. It's hot. It's hot. It's hot. Right now, we are at a toasty 111 degrees. You're giving cooking to a whole new meeting there, my friend. Uh, number 64, pretty uh, common offensive line number these days. Matt, you got one for me? Yeah, not a number I love, or not a player I love, but Jerry Kramer. So Okay. Steelers, right? Yeah. All right. Well, I got one guy that everyone's going to recognize, uh, Richie Incognito, uh, famous NFL bully, uh, number, number 64 for the Bills. And then J.R. Sweezy, a guy who has a fun name over these for the Seahawks. I'm not sure where he is now, but um, yeah, he's got another offensive lineman. We're in the offensive line numbers for a couple weeks here, and there's not really much we can do about that. Yeah, and Jerry Kramer for the Packers. Sorry, just to clarify. Packers. Yellow, whatever. Sorry. All yeah, garbage. Yeah, well, whatever. All right. Well, we got the AFC South week for you guys today. And, uh, you know, we talk, we always try to say these divisions are interesting and, and good and competitive, and we're excited for them. This might be one of the ones on the bottom of the total pole there, Matt, when it comes to divisions in the NFL. Uh, still some really good players, still some uh, potential uh, interesting games and, and uh, rosters here. But overall, this is probably a top, you know, three bad division in the league, maybe even worse than that, right? Yeah, and you got to figure it's really the Texans and the Jaguars being that anchor that are pulling you down to the bottom. Uh, you figure the Titans and the Colts are going to be really good, but yeah, this may be home to the worst team in the NFL this year. Yeah, and let's, you know, get it started right there. I know a lot of times at the beginning of the show, we want to keep people watching and interested in what we're talking about, but we're going right into the Houston Texans. Um, and you know what? They had the team with the number one overall pick this year in the Jacksonville Jaguars, and we could be talking this time in April when we're at the draft, Bushnell, that the Houston Texans could be having the number one overall pick. Um, really what it comes down to is the status of their quarterback. And um, as of now, it's sort of no update at all, really. I mean, the Deshaun Watson saga has sort of unfolded uh, and it's kind of in limbo right now. He's not put on the commissioner's exemplist. The investigations into sexual assault are ongoing. Uh, his uh, attorney still remains adamant that he is innocent. But it's hard to imagine at this point, Matt, on July 6th that we're going to see Deshaun Watson play quarterback for the Houston Texans. Yeah, it's way too much of a headache. We saw what Major League Baseball did with Trevor Bauer's situation, just put him on a seven-day ban or seven-day leave just so they can investigate the situation a little bit more. Um, Deshaun Watson, you have to figure, eventually he's going to go on the commissioner's exemplist. They can't have this. Once the press conferences start, Randy, you know it's going to get bad. Mm-hmm. And they're going to be asking questions about this after questions. And from a distraction standpoint, do you really want for that team? And he doesn't even want to play for Houston still. He still wants to be traded. So I don't see a scenario where he's ready to play week one for them. It's a completely different situation than Aaron Rodgers, where I can definitely see a situation where Aaron Rodgers rolls in there before week one and is the quarterback, although still feels unlikely. This one has serious legal ramifications attached to it that, you know, a lot of it that we, you know, can't even comment on or understand because we're not legal experts here. We're football fans. We like to talk about football. This goes beyond that. Uh, This is very serious what he what he's accused of and, you know, uh, what the the victims are saying. And um, honestly, the investigations are being taken pretty seriously, it seems all around. 
So uh, I don't know what the NFL does. I think that the NFL understands their own track record. They probably can't let him play football until this investigation concludes and determines he's innocent, if that's the case. Um, Because if he goes out there and he plays, it's going to be another Ray Rice situation where, you know, oh, we, you know, we looked into it and nothing wouldn't have happened. And then here comes a video of him knocking his white girlfriend out cold. And it was the worst possible thing ever for the NFL. So I think the NFL has gotten better at being proactive with these sort of things. It's taken a long time, but um, they kind of have no choice, but to, but to at least at the very least put him on the commissioner's exempt list for the upcoming season. I mean, Deshaun Watson, um, the player is a top three quarterback in the NFL. He is incredible. He had an amazing year last year. And despite the Texans only going four and 12, it was definitely not his fault. Um, but now you take him off of the roster and insert Tyrod Taylor, now 31 years old, um, been the placekeeper quarterback ahead of Justin Herbert with the Chargers, ahead of Baker Mayfield with Cleveland. And then he had a stint with the Bills for a little while. You know, even with Tyrod's peak, he was never the greatest football talent. He was, you know, mobile, could run a ton, never turned the ball over because honestly, he didn't take a ton of chances. And I think that was the main criticism of him. But Tyrod's walking into a situation also where he has a ton of just random skill set guys who also, as far as skill position goes, is at the bottom of the barrel in the entire league. Um, Matt, you look at this roster here. Uh, Philip Lindsay, maybe the projected starter, but you also have David Johnson. You have Mark Ingram. The receiving core, Brandon Cooks is your number one. And then Randall Cobb still on the books, not very good. Uh, the tight end situation still not very good either. Jordan Aikens. I guess the bright spot here is the offensive line, and it mainly starts with Laramie Tunsil. So, um, I guess I look at this roster and this entire situation and I look at new head coach, David Culley, and I'm like, Hey man, I'm sorry. This is going to be brutal for you this year. Yeah. There's not a lot where you get excited about the running back position. It's probably one of the worst in the league. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know we had Denver Bronco fans that really liked Philip Lindsay and Philip Lindsay's a nice number two back, um, you know, spell your starter. I don't really envision him as that workhorse. Maybe he's the starting running back on a bad football team. Hence, Houston Texans, mm-hmm. you figure David Johnson, he said he wanted to do a thousand, a thousand. I don't think he even sniffed it. I don't which, think he had 500, 500. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and we called that, we saw that coming a mile away and it was just like, this is part of the package you got back for Deandre Hopkins. Um, just, it's awful. The wide receivers very much a ragtag group of nobody special. You know, people might think that cook still has something left in the tank going to look a lot different if Tyler Tyrod Taylor's throwing him the football as opposed to Deshaun Watson. Will Fuller, the speed demon's gone. Tight end, I couldn't even name either tight ends, to be honest with you, Randy, and I don't think they're all that great either. And, and then you look across the field to their defense, and it's, it's a whole lot more bad there. So you take a look at this football team. I mean, we, we can project wins. We can project losses. We can project a lot of things. The only thing I'm projecting right now, Randy, is that in the 2022 NFL draft, when we are there in Viva Las Vegas, that we're going to be hearing with the number one pick in the 2022 and the NFL draft, the Houston Texans are now on the clock. Yeah, I think that's I think I it was pretty safe to say here. Um, the Texans, I might add, while we're talking about them here, they picked up 30 veterans this offseason. They had the most transactions of any team. Um, and you can kind of see it in their roster. It's a big mix of just randomness. And this is what happens when you have 
the hurricane known as Bill O'Brien running your franchise for eight years. Um, that paired with this legal situation that Deshaun Watson is in right now is how you're in this sort of turmoil. And I don't blame the Texans for the Deshaun Watson stuff that is on Watson. Uh, the Bill O'Brien thing, that is something you held on to for a little too long. And you're seeing the aftermath of a awful DeAndre Hopkins trade, a Laramie Tunsil trade where you didn't see a first round pick for what, three years. I mean, I mean, Laramie Tunsil, Laramie Tunsil is a hell of a football player, but he's the left tackle for a team that went four and 12 and was supposed to pick, you know, obviously protect the top three quarterback. Obviously that's out the window right now. If I'm in, if I'm the Texans, I might even look to ship him out the door to try to get some of those picks back. If you're a Texans fan, the one thing you have to hope for is that they are in a rebuild phase and that they can, can build off whatever they have because they have some talent here. I'm not telling you that they don't. I mean, Tunsil being one of those guys, Justin Britt is solid. Uh, Marcus Cannon and Titus Howard. Okay. On the offensive line. Whitney Merciless is, is kind of uh, entering the twilight of his career at this point. Ross Blacklock is a guy you picked in the high in the second round. Jack Lawson. Bradley Roby is a pretty good corner. He's one of the few guys I would say is definitely going to start on the defense. But overall, this is a transitional year where you might have to hope you don't go 0-17. But at the same time, you saw with the Jets, if there's a guy worth taking number one overall, go 0-17. This year means nothing if you're a Texans fan. Do it. You're going to have quarterbacks in every other team that are worth something. And you won't have anyone unless, you know, something obviously positive happens with the Sean Watson situation. Um, so my question is for you, Matt. The uh, 2017 Cleveland Browns, 0-16. The 2008 Detroit Lions 0-16 now with a 17 game schedule the Texans have a chance to be the first team to go 0-17 I'm going to pull up their schedule I want you to talk do you think this team is capable of that I think there's a lot of things here that this team is capable of winning football games may not be one of them so I'm just saying this we we take a look at the big picture here They won four games with Deshaun Watson, who arguably put up one of the best quarterback seasons we've seen in a while. Well, I mean, now nowadays we see it more so than we don't. But when you talk about top echelon quarterbacks, it was an elite season by all measures. Um, Probably one of the top 50 quarterback seasons of all time. And they only won four games, four wins with that kind of production at the quarterback position. And like you said, they had the left tackle. So a lot of teams think, well, let me get the left tackle. Let me get the quarterback. And then I'm good to go. Well, if you got a dumpster fire surrounding you, um, obviously it doesn't do a whole lot of good. Mm-hmm. I, I do think that's all right. I, 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 man, there's going to be a lot of people mad at me. Um, maybe they beat the jets. I, I don't see no. that. Oh no. I mean, <laughs> I mean, that and the Jaguars, I see, I, I like the Jaguars. I think the Jaguars are going to be sneaky okay. I, Man, this schedule is brutal just looking at it. I, You know, I, Randy, I'm going to say 0-17. I, I don't think they won a game here. <laughs> yeah, you're not making Jacob Moses happy. <laughs> I know. <laughs> hey, reputation precedes them. Look, it's <laughs> – <laughs> didn't the jets give uh some teams their first wins a couple years ago i mean it's fine different different time around here for the jets so i, I want to think the jets could uh could take care of business here looking at this schedule and it's not it's a world beater schedule i just think the texans are that bad um the panthers maybe they could sneak a win on thursday night football um you know sam darnold has a, ter- a horrific game maybe um 
you know, you, you could think maybe the division games, I, I think that the Jags still are flawed despite me, ha- me pretty being kind of optimistic about them too. Um, even the, the Titans are, I think are still pretty flawed, but I still think the Titans are good enough to, you know, take care of business against the Texans. So I think we're in a real possibility here that we see the Texans go 0-17. And I know you have predicted the Chiefs to go undefeated last year and you're predicting the Texans to go uh, winless now, just for sake of me protecting my own reputation here. I'm going to say they get one win and it's going to be Carolina on that Thursday night game because I think Darnold will just poop his pants on national television is what I think. You know, I'm looking at the Carolina game. All right, what week is that Carolina game? Oh, the September 23rd. Oh, man. I don't know. It's it's tough because you still got Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore, um, you know, Mike Davis maybe at the running back, Kristen McCaffrey's back. They have weapons around them, and this is a very porous defense. I mean, it's it's going to be the Panthers. You know, mm, Randy, I'm sorry. I'm trying to – like, I'm, I'm like you. I would like to predict a win here somewhere. <sighs> Look, I, it's hard because, like, I understand the thought process with the Jets. I'm sorry, Jake. But, you know, we've seen the, the Jets – you know, I think it was the Dolphins a couple years ago were, you know, 0-9 or something, and they went down and, you know, blew that game, and it should have been a win for the Jets, and it wasn't. And then – uh, I feel like there was another year where a team was winless and the, and the Jets gave them a win too. I think mean, it was the, even the Browns or something. Uh, I mean, it was the first year of Baker. They were 0-4 or something like that. Um, the Jets sort of have history here, but I, I want to believe the Jets aren't the same. I, I don't know. Maybe they are. Um, but regardless, the Texans, it's hard to go winless. Like the, we, we came pretty close with two teams last year, the Jets being one of them, and with the, Tex, uh, with the Jags as well. But the Jags won week one and lost out. Yeah, uh, that was pretty close, honestly. Like they should have lost week one too, when you think about it. So, um, I think this team is worse than the Jags team was last year, and I think it's much worse than the Jets team was last year as well. So, uh, I I would not shock me if we're in 0 17, and they're going to set that standard right right out of the gate here this this 17 game season. So good for the Jags or uh, the Texans, I mean. So, and I I will say this: I think a lot depends on Urban Meyer as a head coach. Because they could theoretically win one of those Jags games if, you know, if it's a dumpster fire. I will say the one thing I think the Jets will have is really players that try. Mm -hmm. I'm very interested to see how this team responds to David Coley because Mm -hmm. if they give up, they're not beating the Jets. The Jets are going to go out there and they're going to play hard. I don't think the talent level for the Jets is where it needs to be to, you know, say this is a slam dunk win for the Jets. And we'll talk about the Jets when that time approaches. But yeah, I mean, maybe they win a Jags game, but I'm going 0-17, Randy. I just think this team is so bad. And I don't, the coaching hire is kind of, eh. Cully's bad. Cully is not a good coach. I'm sorry. I mean, they have Lovey Smith on the roster uh, as a defensive coordinator. They should have just made him head coach. He, he might be the interim head coach when they go 0-12, so. Uh, Corey Richmond with a prediction in the comments section saying the Texans will beat the Niners on January 2nd in week 17. The, if the thought process is the Niners won't have anything to play for, okay, maybe. Um, I can see that, but that would also mean I, I would fall under the same thought process with the Titans maybe uh, in week 17, where if the Titans already have a playoff berth locked up and they wanted to rest their starters, maybe the Texans could beat their backups. 
that's kind of I kind of couldn't see that that thought process too. I just think the NFC West is so tough. You know, yeah. it, it's always a dog fight. I think the Niners backups could beat the, the, the Texans. So yeah, me too. Uh, I don't think that's a necessarily uh gonna what's gonna happen there all right that's enough talk i think we talked about the texans for way too long here matt <laughs> they are gonna be uh just atrocious to watch and they're gonna be the least favorite team for me to watch all season long yeah but uh let's move on to a team i'm actually kind of excited for and you referenced it too that you were a little bit excited for them as well the jacksonville jaguars had the number one overall pick in the draft this past year and selected the most can't miss quarterback prospect. We've talked about him as a generational talent. I hate the word generational at this point. He gets thrown around a ton, but it's Trevor Lawrence. It's Andrew Luck and John Elway, you know, Peyton Manning. Like he's in the upper echelon of these guys. Now uh, Luck came in and had success right away. Peyton sort of had to be developed for a little bit and he wasn't oh, great right away. Elway was pretty much amazing from the beginning. I think Lawrence could come right in and dominate because I think the NFL now is catered that way where you can come in as an offensive player and sort of have your way with the league because of defensive rules and other things like that. Trevor Lawrence in this Jacksonville situation, I like the talent. I like their weapons around him, but I, I just don't see where he's going to, you know, where's he going to struggle? Is it the turnovers? Is he, could he have injury problems, Matt? What are some weaknesses for Trevor Lawrence that could prevent him from being the best he could possibly be right now? I really think it's coaching when it really comes down to it. His mechanics are really sound. You know, he plans, he drives, the ball placement's always good. He's, he's super accurate. Um, he's got plenty of arm strength. He's a bigger body frame quarterback. And I know we kind of talk about, well, we don't, we don't really talk about, but people around the league circles talk about, you know, is there such thing as a too tall quarterback? Scott Mitchell for the Detroit Lions, I believe, was like 6'6 or 6'7 and really had an underwhelming career. Mm-hmm. So I'll be interested to see how that plays into it. Um, to me, Trevor Lawrence has enough escapability to be okay. The Jacksonville Jaguars offensive line isn't terrible. It's not the worst in the league by any stretch. So you take a look at if the mechanics are good, if the protection is good, uh, the weapons around him should be adequate enough. I just wonder if Urban Meyer can adopt a sophisticated offense to take advantage of all of Lawrence's traits. And what I mean by that is I, I don't hate the spread offense. I think it has its place in the NFL and is very useful, but teams can get you in a hole sometimes and you don't want to put your defense out. It's about sustaining drives as well, eating up some clock. Is Trevor Lawrence going to have that sort of coaching mentality in his corner to help him methodically take apart a defense and win these games. Cause that's ultimately what it's going to amount to. It's like, okay, in the NFL, you may be able to score 50 points, but do you want to, yeah. you know, is that really the goal here? Because you're going to leave a defense out there. That's tired. The chiefs were kind of a different story a couple of years ago where they scored a lot of points, but they could run throw and their defense was able to pin its ears back. Jacksonville's defense is nowhere near as good as that Kansas city defense was two years ago or even last year. So to me, the biggest question mark and the biggest liability for Trevor Lawrence is coaching urban Meyer, great college coach, but we've seen a lot of college coaches come into the NFL and not have a whole lot of success. I I think the jury is still out on Matt rule. I'm not sold on Matt rule whatsoever. And I think that still leaves a lot to be desired. You take a look, you take a look at the successful coaches in the NFL, Belichick, for the most part, was a lifetime NFL assistant, and obviously we consider him one of the greatest of all time. Bruce Arians, longtime NFL assistant. Mike Tomlin, longtime NFL assistant. So 
it doesn't take much to put these pieces together. The two college coaches that always come to mind for me, one is Jimmy Johnson. You know, Jimmy mm-hmm. Johnson came in from Miami, had a lot of success, and I thought he did fairly well for himself. And the other one, unfortunately, is Barry Switzer. He won a Super Bowl, and then it was just kind of meh. So to me, I, I don't trust Urban Meyer as much as maybe other people do. Do you not consider Pete Carroll a college coach because he was in the NFL previous? Yes, exactly. Okay. Because I think of Pete Carroll, but yeah, he definitely had a history before Stanford uh, in USC. Not Stanford. Yeah, yeah, he, he was an NFL coach. I mean, maybe Jim Harbaugh is another one. But to me, when you're an ex-player in the NFL and you transition to college coaching and then you move to the NFL, you know, being a quarterback in the NFL is kind of like an apprenticeship in a sense to being yeah. a coach. So, I mean, we even saw the greatest college coach ever, Nick Saban, struggle in the NFL. So this is not, you know, unusual to see. Um, I'll just touch on the the Jags roster quick before I get into my concerns about Urban Meyer. Obviously, Lawrence coming in as a rookie, I think he has the highest expectations of any rookie I've seen since Luck. Um, And even with Luck, that Colts team, I think, was worse than this Jags team was talent-wise. Travis Etienne, they drafted 25th overall uh, after they had James Robinson, who had a 1,000-yard rushing season last year. So I don't know what the deal is there. But what concerns me here is that when you draft a guy for in the first round, you typically will lean towards using him because it's your guy over than using a guy who already had success. And then we've seen that so often. So maybe ETN could be more of a, a pass catcher and Robinson could be more of the, the close range, you know, uh, chain mover, but we'll see how those guys are used. I don't have faith that they'll use them the right way, but we'll see. DJ Chark, I think has all the skills to be an number one wide receiver. I think you pair him with Trevor Lawrence and he'll be an absolute stud, um, sort of like a Terry McLaurin type for me I think he's going to be very good um LaVisca Chenault I think is a really good wide receiver too and then Marvin Jones has had a really solid career with the Bengals and Lions I like him coming in as the vet number three wide receiver that works for me tight end basically a bunch of no names uh you know you got Tim Tebow but he's not going to make the rosters tight end I'm going to talk about Tim Tebow here in a second the offensive line Cam Robinson back on a franchise tag. That's your left tackle right there for Trevor Lawrence. You need to get that guy secured after this year. Andrew Norwell, they paid a bunch of money to a left guard. You need more from him, but he's definitely talented. And the rest of the offensive line is kind of have a bunch of question marks, but the left side at least is secure. So that's good. Now you know where your focus is in the draft going forward. If, if you're, you know, if you're Jacksonville, I thought they should have done that with the 25th pick, but you know, you had to have ETN, whatever. Anyway, the defense, it has a lot of names, but it doesn't have a lot of depth. And that's going to be the part of the, part of the problem here. Uh, Malcolm Brown at tackle. That's good. Josh Allen at outside linebacker. He's had a good start to his career. Uh, Miles Jack, injury history. Good when he plays, but hurt all the time. Joe Schobert, not bad. Okay, you know, whatever. Clavon Chasen, they need him to take the next step this year after being a first-round pick a couple of years ago. C.J. Henderson was a first-round pick a couple of years ago. They need him to step up. Shaquille Griffin was the big free agent signing. They need him to be good, too. Uh, and then Tyson Campbell was a first-round pick. Uh, and, I mean, so there's a lot of first-round talent on this defense that they need a lot from. And I, I think they're definitely capable. I, I love Josh Allen. That's the guy I wanted on the Giants. I love him. I think he's in the, I think he has potential to be an elite pass catcher on the outside linebacker spot. Um, Matt, you look at this defense. It's young, but it's talented. Yeah, I, I don't know what Urban Meyer what to expect, but I, I still kind of think that they could be good. I don't know. I don't want to say could be good enough. I just think that they have talent. That's all. I think that's a good word for it, talent. They, they, they are talented. It's a talented yeah. group of defensive players. But I think part of the issues I have with 
right, you know, Shaquille Griffin and just looking back at the division he played in mm-hmm. and, you know, I, nothing really stood out as a number one corner. He feels like a really good number two. So I still think you're lacking a shutdown corner and it really depends on what scheme they're going to come out with. Because honestly, I have no idea what scheme this defense is going to be playing. If you're going to be playing cover three, I think that favors Shaquille Griffin because that's what he played in Seattle for playing cover two. I, I don't know if you have anywhere near the linebackers that you're going to have to have. I completely agree with you with Josh Allen. I think he's a superstar in the making. This kid stays healthy. He's going to be able to terrorize quarterbacks. He may not have the skill set of a Miles Garrett, but I think the kid has a high motor and he's got a lot of traits that would make him very appealing to be an elite pass rusher in the NFL, not to the level of a Garrett, but still a pretty good one. Other than that, you know, I transitioned to the offensive side of the football, right? I mean, you named a lot of names, a lot of guys I like. None of them scream superstar. Obviously, it's going to take a little bit to see. Chenault may go. I, I think Chenault has a lot of talent. I think DJ Chark has the superstar potential. Chenault, to me, feels like a really good number two. And that's quite a find. You know, if you're able to get a number two in, as a wide receiver in the NFL draft, you did okay for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, James Robinson, I, I think you said it perfectly. I think Meyer and those guys wanted their own running back in there. Not to say that they're not going to use Robinson, but there's no way I would pick James Robinson in fantasy football this year. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not going to touch him. I, I just think that's a bad bet for you, for anyone to go down that route. So to me, I take a look at this team and I think there's a lot of pieces for Trevor Lawrence to use. Like we said, the offensive line's okay, not bad. The defense has potential. If I'm the Jags, I do not want to get in shootouts. I don't think this team is built to win shootouts. I think the closer you keep the score to like the teens and the 20s, the better shot you have. But they're going to be an entertaining bunch. I think they'll be fun to watch. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I'm not saying they're going to light the world on fire by any means, but compared to last year, I think they're going to be pretty fun. And honestly, with the Gardner, Gardner Minshews of the world and the Mike Lennons of the world, they had some moments where they were like, oh, this is uh, not, not the worst football I've ever seen in my life. That leads me to the next part I put here in the rundown. I put talented, but dumb. What I mean by that is they signed Urban Meyer to a six-year deal. Um, and it's a it's a big one. And um they also assigned Trevor Lawrence to the, the rookie contract worth almost 40 million. That's good. That part of it's good. But the Urban Meyer experiment here could go very badly. If, if Trevor Lawrence looks bad, if they do not win a certain amount of games, which I'll pull up the schedule here in a second, Urban Meyer will be on the hot seat. And I don't know, like obviously the six years shows me that they're going to be patient, but when you're hyped quarterback is this, is, is as hyped as Trevor Lawrence is, you need to see some success you saw Pat Mahomes in year two win an MVP. You saw him in year three win the Super Bowl. You don't like everyone thinks, oh, you have a rookie quarterback, you have all this time. You have a very short window here before Trevor Lawrence is going to be a free agent and get that second contract. And that's always your window to win. So I need Urban Meyer to show me that he can do this on the next level. Obviously, in college, he won a national championship in Florida. Obviously, at Ohio State, he won a national championship. We know in college, he knows what he's doing. The NFL is a whole different ballgame, and we've talked about that already. The other part of it that this is dumb, Shad Khan and the Jags almost feel like they're not a real football team. They're sort of an entertainment brand to me. Like they signed Tim Tebow 
to come in and try out for tight end, which is something that we always said TBO should have done 10 years ago, but he was playing minor league baseball. He's doing, uh, you know, ESPN for the SEC games. Tim Tebow is 34 years old. It's a, it's a, all it is is a ploy to try to sell tickets, to get people talking about it, whatever. And then the other con, right, Tony Khan. Am I sure here that they're not going to become a AEW-type entertainment product and they're not going to care as much about football and winning as they are about let's just be entertaining. Let's just try to get people in the seats. Let's go put a pool in the end zone so people can come swim while they watch games. I, I sort of just kind of think the Jags are a gimmick and I need to be convinced that they're not that. And they have the sunshine quarterback. Now it's perfect for Florida. I need the Jags to just stop being dumb. I need them to show me that they can be a real team. Am I, am I wrong for that criticism, Matt Bushnell? No, because I think that what you described is accurate. You had the number one pick in the NFL draft and you had a generational quarterback. I know there's some people that swear by urban Meyer and there's other people saying urban Meyer is not that guy he's going to struggle in the nfl so I, when i take a look at the situation is you had a chance to land a premier coach because there's a lot of people that would have loved to coach this football team with the prospect of having trevor lawrence but before all of that shot Khan comes out and says no i'm making all the picks like i don't know what terrifies me more um, when it comes to a situation, like let's say my bears are for sale, for example, you know, they sell the bears. I don't want an owner like Shad Khan. I want someone that's going to hire football people, someone that's been doing this their entire life and has a track record of success to say that you're going to make these draft picks. You're the one and whatever, fine. You want to sign the checks. I don't want you as the owner. And like exactly what you said, it feels like a gimmick all this and this is my biggest worry for trevor lawrence is that he went to the worst possible organization if he goes to the jets with robert sala i i think the sky's the limit for trevor lawrence i, I think with joe douglas and robert sala the jets are so much better and i know we talk about zach wilson i'm not a, i i kind of pull back on zach wilson a little bit i don't love him as much I think there's a lot of flash, not a lot of substance there, especially looking back at some of his college tape. It's kind of a lot of meh, um, cannon for an arm. But you put Trevor Lawrence in that New York Jets situation, it is an entirely different story. And I think it doesn't feel as gimmicky. This is just a mess. I, I feel bad for Trevor Lawrence. I don't see Urban Meyer winning a Super Bowl while coaching the Jacksonville Jaguars. It's hard to imagine because we've seen these college coaches come in and sort of struggle right away. So I think Urban Meyer is in an incredible situation to succeed here. Um, but I just, I, I wish I had more faith in him to do so. Um, he's going to have a challenge here and I have the schedule pulled up for this year. And I think it's, it's a tough one for them. Um, I need, I don't expect them to make the playoffs or even have a 500 record, but you need to be better than you were last year and, and show you have uh, an offense and, and a defensive plan. And then you can build off of that. All of this is about development, but it can't take 10 years. It's got to be sort of a fast retooling and then, all right, let's win six games this year, draft a couple offensive linemen, and then let's do the damn thing next year. Maybe sign a big, defensive free agent somewhere and then now we're in business and you're in a bad division so this should be something that you should be wanting to do by the end of 2022 i don't know what the jags timeline is but that if i'm a jags fan i'm looking at the rest of the division here and i'm going all right i want to be in the playoffs 
by 2022. And I want to be competing for a Super Bowl at the very latest by 2024, especially when you have the quarterback. And that might be too big of goals, but when you're when you have the quarterback like this, it's kind of how you have to have your you set the standards for your franchise. Now, I look at the schedule. And obviously they play in a friendly division. So I could see them splitting with the Titans. I could see them splitting with the Colts. I could see them winning both of those games against the Texans. So right there, that's four wins. And then you, you know, if you look at the rest of it, okay. Um, they could beat the Bengals. Um, they could be, they could beat the Jets. Like that right there, you're at six wins. Like in theory, like that, that's, that's doable for this team. And then, uh, you know, I think it's tough. I think, you know, they, the Broncos could be a loss. The, the, the Cardinals could be a loss. Then you have the Dolphins in London by week and then at Seattle. Like that's a lot. I know you have the week off there, but there's very different places, very far away from each other on the planet. So that's a lot of traveling for them. So if you, I'm looking at this schedule and marinating on it a little bit, my guess would be six and 11 for the Jags, which is honestly a good bounce back year after having the number one overall pick. Yeah. I think they can beat the Broncos. I think that's going to be a very telling sign for the Broncos this year, but yeah, they're definitely winning both against the Texans uh, Miami really depends on if Tua's the guy, you know, is Tua that quarterback? And if he's not, Miami is a very good football team, but that could be a tough game for them to win. And, you know, the Falcons, I think they could beat the Falcons. That could go either way. But I think this team's destined for 4-13. and 13. Wow. Yeah, not as big of improvement as you would hope. But I just – to me, this team – I can't get behind Urban Meyer. That's the biggest roadblock for me throughout this whole thing. And I don't think it gets better. Four and 13. I mean, if I'm a Jags fan, I'd be, I'd be upset about four and 13. I I think, I think you need five or more schedules tough though. I'll say that that I think they're over under in Vegas. Corey Richmond's our Vegas guy. If you could tell me in the comments, I believe was seven. I'd probably bet the under on that, but uh, I still like six wins for them. All right. Moving on now, um, you know, we're, we're, we're doing division by division, team by team. So the Indianapolis Colts is next on the list, and the quarterback cycle continues for them. In third year in a row, they're coming into the season with a new quarterback. Actually, fourth year in a row, really. I mean, Andrew Luck, uh, and then uh, what was the backup there that they had? I forget his name. Jacoby Brissett. Jacoby Brissett, and then they bring in Philip Rivers, and now we are we are here we are with Carson Wentz. Um, you know, for as good as we talk about the GM situation with Chris Ballard, and he is a really good GM. They can't seem to get any sort of consistency and longevity at the quarterback position, and I guess they're kind of hoping for that in Carson Wentz. But Carson Wentz um, has had just as bad of an injury history as any quarterback as I can remember. So. Uh, the good here is pairing him back up with Frank Reich, and the bad is, well, Carson Wentz hasn't been able to stay healthy at all, right, Matt? Yeah, I, I wonder if getting out of Philadelphia helps Carson Wentz. I think it ultimately does. Indianapolis is a quieter market. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that will allow Carson Wentz to kind of blend right in. He, to me, doesn't seem like he has the personality for a big city. You know, he's not a big city quarterback, and unfortunately in the NFL, if you're a good quarterback, the spotlight's always sort of going to be on you no matter what. Um, the Colts, to me, have such a great roster, though. This roster in totality, could it survive an injury to Carson once? Probably because we've seen it in the past. I mean, they've played. I don't think so. Have, you got Jacob Beeson coming in. If you get if Carson Wentz goes down, you better make a move for Nick Foles if you're, if you're banking on, you know, if, if you don't trust Carson Wentz. Yeah, I mean, I but I, man, you talk about, uneasiness from Carson Wentz they trade for Nick Foles for the guy that you know is forever linked to the Super Bowl that you couldn't win because you got hurt 
Yeah, it's gonna, maybe then I mean, that's in division too. So I don't know. Yeah. It, to me, it was risky and the trade compensation right now stands at a second round pick. I, I believe if Carson once takes 70% of the snaps, it turns into a one. Yeah. Uh, honestly, if Carson once takes 70% of the snaps, I don't think that guarantees that, you know, they're a Super Bowl contender. Carson Wentz, to me, very much the jury is still out on him. I, I, To me, when I take a look at the tape, and you take a look at the totality of his tape, not a whole lot changed from him other than, it, to me, it appears luck. Mm-hmm. Like a ball just got over a wide receiver or a DB's hat or a DB tipped it and it went into the wide receiver's hands. You know, um, pro football ref, our focus does this thing on like, it breaks down, you know, a variance in quarterback and the variance is how lucky they are. Carson Wentz had one of the highest variances in his MVP season um, than anybody else that at the quarterback position in a long time. So that paired with an Indianapolis skill position group, that's good. I, I think they're good. I'm not sure if they're great, but to me, this season totally hinges on Carson Wentz. Yeah, I like Carson Wentz, but we've really only seen, you know, 2017 being the year that, you know, when he was an MVP candidate, that he really put it all together. And like you said, it was a lot of luck in that year. Um, he obviously tore his ACL, didn't get to finish the season, didn't win MVP, but the Eagles still went on to win the Super Bowl regardless. So I think that shows how talented the Eagles were around him. So I think that helps. Uh, I think when you look at Carson Wentz's attributes, uh, he's a good athlete. He, he's a good runner. I think that part of the reason why he gets hurt so much is that he takes off a lot and doesn't know how to protect himself. But uh, I think he's got great arm strength. I really do think he has a really good, really good arm. Um, accuracy, not all there. I think that's one of the main issues with him is that he's not the most accurate thrower of the football, um, especially on the run. I think he struggles with that too. And overall, reading defenses, I don't know how advanced he is at that. And overall, uh, you know, pre-snap stuff. You know, I think when you're a next-level quarterback, you can look at the defense in front of you, say, this is the mic, let me change that line of scrimmage. And I don't know how strong, you know, Wentz is at that. So I think Wentz is a flawed player in general, despite me thinking, he's a, you know, he's a good player. I'm not saying he's a bad player by any means, but I do think he lacks a lot of the things you want at the quarterback position. To your point, they do have a good roster for him in Indianapolis. And I think Frank Reich is, the, you know, he was the offensive coordinator when he did have that MVP season. So I think that's important to say, like, he did bring the best out of Carson Wentz when we saw Carson Wentz play at that level. Uh, Jonathan Taylor running back. I think he's poised for a breakout year. I like that. The pass catchers, I don't like at all. That's why I'm going to start there. T.Y. Hilton feels sort of like the Brett Gardner of this team where the Yankees sort of brought back Brett Gardner back as like a, Hey, thanks for being here all these years. Um, T.Y. obviously a little past his prime back in the day was a damn good player. Not so much anymore. This for this team to really be the best they possibly can be. They need a breakout season from your boy, Michael Pittman Jr. And I think he's capable of it. I think he's totally capable of being a number one receiver and they need him to be that. And then you need guys like Zach Pascal, Paris Campbell to come up and be the two and the three. Um, And so you can rely less on Hilton and, you know, Hilton can be that Larry Fitz role that he had last year, sort of, and not be the main guy. Um, You really need those guys to step up. Jack Doyle at tight end. I'm fine with that. Uh, Mo Alley Cox being a red zone threat. Cool with me, whatever. 
The other concern is that the offensive line is not as good as it was a couple years ago. Like Anthony Costanzo just retired, so that's a big blow to the offensive line as well. Um, Eric Fisher, they, he, they did sign, and he's going to be the left tackle for this team, but he might not be ready to play week one, so that's a concern as well. Quentin Nelson, obviously, I, for my money, the best offensive lineman total out of all the, all the offensive linemen in the league, the best one. Love him. Ryan Kelly, damn good center, probably probably the best center in the league. Uh, Braden Smith's fine at right tackle. Guard, right guard is sort of a question mark. It's still a good offensive line, but it's not the dominant top two offensive line that we're used to seeing. Maybe Eric Fisher comes back and changes that. We'll see. Now, Matt, I want to get your thought on the defense because they traded, uh, what was it, a first-round pick for DeForest Buckner. Uh, we didn't love the move, but his impact on the defense we saw. So I think that they were justified in that. Now they bring in – Quiddy Pay to be a pass rusher because they desperately need that. And they need Quiddy Pay to come in and be that guy almost immediately because they needed a pass rusher in the worst way possible. And then you pair that with Darius Leonard, Xavier Rhodes. Okay. Maybe Rocky Sin was a damn good player in his rookie year. Uh, and it was okay last year. So, you know, we'll see how he does. And then Julian Blackman also is a good young player too. I guess my concerns are a little bit with the right side of the offensive line and in the back end on the secondary minus Rocky Sin. Um, the Colts overall talented, but still has some holes here and there. Yeah, and I think we can say that about a lot of teams um, outside of maybe two, mm-hmm. the Chiefs and the Bucks. <laughs> so to me, the Colts have a really good, strong defense. Their defensive coordinator is really good. Uh, I think Chris Ballard is a really good GM, but he really puts himself out on the line here. So the Colts had the most salary cap space, and they didn't really make any noise at all, which is kind of surprising. DeForest Buckner, I thought, was worth every cent that they traded for him. I really love Buckner. And really, to me, when you count on a rookie to be that edge rusher, you're setting yourself up for failure for a couple of reasons. Because, one, you have no idea their adjustment to the NFL it could be quick. It could be slow. You never know. They might never pan out. You know, unless you get that Miles Garrett, who's just, you know, lights out, but you're not picking high enough to get a Miles Garrett. So now you got Quiddy Pay, and it's like, okay, you know, let's see what he's got. He's very toolsy. Um, he's got a lot of tools, a lot of ability. I just don't know if he's, in a, you know, going to be this. Yeah. I don't want to say. He has to be a good pass rusher. He doesn't have to be great because if he's a good pass rusher with Buckner, you can survive. But to me, defensively, they play hard. They got a good scheme. Darius Leonard is everything and more. I, that, that guy's going to break the bank when it comes to, up to his contract extension. So mm-hmm. I don't worry so much about him. But, yeah, there's decisions that have to be made defensively. I still think this is a top five defense in the NFL. Um, the secondary is – not great, but it's not bad. You can live with it. And keep in mind, you know, they play in a division with the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Houston Texans. Mm-hmm. So those defensive numbers might be a little bit inflated. So to me, I, I like the Colts. I think they're good enough. I think their roster is talented enough. And I, you know, even with Frank Reich, I think this is a bigger year for him than I think a lot of people may realize because now he's got the quarterback. So now he has to advance in the playoffs. You know, they nearly beat Buffalo last year in the playoffs. Now it's, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. They, they should have, but yeah, now it's time for the next step. Top five defense might be a little steep for me. I do think they're a solid unit. Top top ten, maybe I could see. But, um, you know, the division, I think maybe statistically they could be there. I, could, I can agree with you on that. Um, 
Don't you think, though, when you look at this roster, how much more you would like it if they had Julio Jones on the team? <laughs> I can't help but to think that they were gonna they were the perfect team to have Julio on it. I, I, I don't know why they didn't make that move. And Chris Ballard came out, I think it was today or yesterday, and said, you know, I don't want to give A mo- or I don't want to give B plus players A money. And you just kind of like, well, okay, then um, are you taking a shot at Julio here? Like what's yeah. going on? So, yeah, to, to me, I, I think that's a bad comment to make because then it's just like, you know, who are you going to insult with a contract then? And I, I just think there's better ways to go about it. I think, I mean, look, maybe I overrate Carson Wentz, but Carson Wentz is still a guy I think you can win with. I, I think if all the chips landed in the right spot for you with Frank Reich, I think that this team could be a contender. And if you add Julio Jones to that, I feel so much better about it on top of it. So I'm surprised Ballard didn't look at that as this. This is a sort of a window for them to be really competitive and an already loaded AFC, mind you. I mean, this division isn't very good, but the AFC in general is, is damn good. So um, maybe he looks at that. Maybe the AFC has, is too good and he's just not really looking to, to do that. But, you know, I don't know. Um, but to me, and I want to touch on Frank Reich here before I pull up the schedule. Um, as far as offensive minds, and I know he's not just the offense coordinator, he's the entire head coach. He's up there, and I, I, I know we say top five about everything, and I don't really know off the top of my head all the great you know play callers out there, but the impact he has made on the Eagles when he was there, especially with Carson Wentz, and now the, the Colts, and he's had different quarterbacks along the way. He is – I don't want to call him a genius, but my God, is he a brilliant offensive mind um, and I think it goes to show like he being a backup quarterback all those years in Buffalo is really paying off. And this guy, I would want him to be the coach of my team any day of the week. I, mean, I like Frank Reich. I don't know where I put him in today's coaching. Center. I think Andy Reid's better. Um, yeah, obviously, Bill Belichick. I, Bruce Arians has a Super Bowl ring now to his name. I'm talking offensively, not not overall. I mean, I would say, I mean, Bill Belichick offensively is he? You know, is he that? You know, that he might guy? be. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know who's running that show there, but every time, it doesn't matter if it's an offensive assistant or a defensive assistant, they suck wherever else they go. So um, if you told me Belichick was the designer and creator of that offense, I wouldn't be surprised. I will say, though, I do agree with you. Frank Reich is a really good elite offensive mind. It comes from that Andy Reid tree, Mm -hmm. and he's had experience with um, uh, Marv Levy and Buffalo. You know, so I, I think Frank Reich offers a lot of different perspectives. And, you know, I think you can't replace experience. So Frank Reich was in one of the toughest situations, you know, being down by God knows how many points I forget against the Houston Oilers and rallying that comeback mm-hmm. for the Bills. And th- that's irreplaceable. So I think Frank Reich doesn't have this aura of calmness around him, which helps a lot. To me, I just... And, and until you give him a fully stacked roster and give him the talent, like I think my, I love Michael Pittman. I really love Michael Pittman. I don't love him as the 10th overall pick to the Cleveland Browns love him, <laughs> but I, I really do love Michael Pittman. I just don't know if he's that one, that number one wide receiver. I think T Y Hilton's past his prime, mm-hmm. you know, and th- there's some things here where yeah, the Colts are going to have to figure out to me, there's more this feels like a good football team but not an elite football team a team that's not going to hang with the upper echelons 
I agree. My point on Reich, I guess, is that it's sort of the opposite with Urban Meyer, where I trust him mm-hmm. to make the pieces that he has work much more, you know, where if you flip Reich and, My- and Meyer, you know, I feel a lot worse about the Colts. Yeah. I feel amazing about the Jags. Oh, <laughs> I would yeah. love to see Reich with Lawrence. But, uh, you know, I just I just think Reich in, in makes the situations better. And if you if you gave him the right talent, you know, he makes it work. So, obviously, he, he was the offense coordinator on a team that won the Super Bowl and, and put up, you know, 40-some points on the Patriots in doing so. So, I think that is a, it's important, too. All right, here's the schedule for the Colts. And, uh, you know, obviously, these schedules are similar, and they have the benefit of playing their own division. So, they get, you know, two wins against the Texans, we just assume. Um, I think they could split against the Jags, but maybe they win two against the Jags. So, they already have that benefit of having some wins right there. Um, the thing about the Colts is whether I think they're going to win these games, they're going to compete and they're going to be a tough out for any of these teams. It's not like you see the Colts in the schedule, like, Oh, that's a win. Like, no, this is going to be a game that you're going to have to focus and grind it out. It's not like they're a joke by any means. They're always a team that's in there uh, and has a chance to win. So brief, like just briefly going over the schedule. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at you know, nine and eight, 10 and seven for them. I think that's probably in the right range. Yeah, are you a little bit more optimistic on them than me? Because I, I don't know if I really see that them, you know, being much more than 10. Yeah, I think I see 11 and 6, 10 and 7. I, I think it's somewhere in that range. But, yeah, I'm kind of there with you. I, I think this team, uh, you, you take a look at the schedule. I mean, obviously, they're going to knock out the Texans rather easily. Mm-hmm. I'm going to Arizona on Christmas Day, not going to be the easiest game to win mm-hmm. for them. Um, that's kind of tough. And then you just – opening week i think they get the benefit of getting seattle at home and then the rams at home yeah. um look really looking forward to quinn nelson versus aaron Rod- or aaron donald i think that's going to be a heavyweight matchup so kind of surprised. yeah i'm kind of surprised that's on fox with that elite matchup but as we all know no one loves linemen except for us so, the trenches don't get to love man we know that yeah they really don't and that's going to be a hell of a matchup i i may circle that game yeah. Rams and Colts. I want to see that matchup on the interior. Um, but yeah, to me, there, there's some tough games here that I don't feel great about, but I think the schedule is easy enough. So I'm going to say 11 and six. I, I think they get to 11 wins. See, I, I do think that like having the Seahawks and Rams at, at home back to back is nice, but those two teams are still really good. Um, you know, I, I mean, maybe Seattle is flawed for sure, but um Neither of those teams are gimmies by any means. And then a division rival and the Titans away, like, couldn't you see them starting going three? Like, I think that's totally possible. And then at the Dolphins, you know, we saw the Dolphins be pretty tough last year. I think that's a brutal stretch to start the year, especially with Baltimore after that. Yeah. If you'd have told me last year, you know, if, if, if there was no training camp this year and, you know, you just, you don't have a lot of work with these guys. I'd be like, oh, well, you know, maybe they beat the Rams with a new quarterback in Stafford because I think it takes a while to learn an offense. But that kind of changes things. Um, I, I I see one and two to start that stretch, to start the season. I, I think they win one of those three games. Okay. that that not a first five weeks of the season that I would want, so – um, you know what? I'm, the more I look at the schedule, the more I think it's not the most favorable thing. So I'm, I'm going to hammer that nine and eight, eight and nine area for them. And that said, I still think they have a chance to win the division. I think that's how bad the division is. Um, we're going to talk about that in a second. So um, I'll say nine and eight because I, I like them enough to think they'll be over 500. So I'll say nine and eight for the Colts this year. That leaves us to our final team in this division. And that's Tennessee Titans, uh, the division champ from a year ago. Um you know what, this team, I, I don't know what to say here, Matt Bushnell. 
because I want to like them more than I do. <laughs> they have a lot of high-end talent that, uh, that I, how can you not love, especially on the offensive side of the ball. And then you add Julio Jones into the mix. And I, I think that adds another element that is just, well, Ryan Tannehill now has the luxury of Derrick Henry, A.J. Brown, Julio Jones. Like, I, I love that trio. And then Anthony Ferkser, I think, is going to be really good at tight end, too. I know that they lost the other tight end, but I think he'll come in and be fine. They'll get Taylor Lewan back, Roger Saffold. The offensive line's good, too. The high-end talent is there, but where you lose me is there's no depth on the defense. There's no real high-end talent anywhere on the defense. I worry about this team in general sort of having these massive holes that are almost too much for even those three guys to help overcome. Yeah, to me, this defense is so bad. Even with Bud Dupree, um, I, I still think this is one of the worst defenses in the NFL. The one saving grace is they get the Houston Texans and the Jacksonville Jaguars in their division. So it may not look as bad number-wise as it really is. To, to me, great, you got Julio Jones. You paid a lot of money for Julio. To me, like a Matt Judon would have looked really nice on this team. Um you know, uh, Shaquille Griffin would have helped out. I forget the cornerback they drafted with those back issues out of Virginia Tech. Uh, Caleb Farley. Yeah, Caleb Farley. Like, to, to me, you didn't do the defense very many favors. I, I don't want a player with back problems. No. I, I think that is a huge red flag when you draft some of these kids. So, to me, as good as the offense may be, and I think they have the best running back in the NFL in Derrick Henry. I, I think their wide receivers are very talented in AJ Brown and Julio Jones. Tannehill feels like a good quarterback. I, I'm not ready to put him in the upper echelon. I think he benefits from having those weapons. And I think the biggest loss for them is Arthur Smith going to the Falcons, which to me, I'm with you. Right? I, I don't, once you start peeling the onion on this division mm-hmm. and you start looking at like when you first said, well, I could see the Jags splitting with the Colts and I could see the Jags splitting with the uh, Titans. I, I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, no fucking way. <laughs> and, then, and then as we start peeling this onion, I'm like, well, shit, Randy, Randy's not too far off on this. I'm not off my rocker, man. I know what I'm, I know what I'm saying. Dude. <laughs> yeah, it's just, you know, it's, sometimes you got to talk it through in the process of peeling back this onion. Like, yeah, I don't love Tennessee either. I. You know, I, I think this division gets won by a game or two, you know, a separation between the Colts and the Titans. But, man, offensively, they're going to have to score 40 points a game, I think. It, it's going to have to get close to 40. And I'm interested in their schedule because I don't think it's going to be easy. Look, so now now the pressure is on Todd Downing, the offensive coordinator for the Titans, because, as you said, the biggest loss here is not the fact that they lost the receiver to the Jets um, or, or it, or the tight end of the Patriots. It's the fact that you lost Arthur Smith because the, the offense under Arthur Smith was damn good, especially down the stretch every year. Derrick Henry turns into this superhuman freak of nature. <laughs> cannot be stopped every year. Thursday night football, he's running for 250 yards in the Jags and leading the Titans to the playoffs. Is that here with the, the Titans now? And I worry about that. Also, I just want to point out the depth behind even those guys is oh. not good. The backup for Ryan Tannehill is Logan Woodside. Who? 
<laughs> Who the hell is Logan Woodside? The backup running back to Derrick Henry is Darrington Evans. Now, I'm a guy who's like, I don't give a shit who your running back is. But I've never heard of that guy either. So, uh, number three receiver, Josh Reynolds, guy who's been on the Rams. All right, fine, whatever. He's a three receiver. But if they were, if they didn't trade for Julio, they would have been throwing Josh Reynolds out there as the number two. That wouldn't have been very good. So, look, I, I think the Titans win this division just based on having those three guys, but I don't feel good about it. Um, and that leads me to the next thing. Okay, no more Arthur Smith. Now you need your coaching staff to step up. Are we sure Mike Vrabel's good? Like, Mike Vrabel was the defensive coordinator for the Texans, and the defense was fine there. And then he came over, and the, it feels like the Titans' defense is bad every single year that he's there. Isn't he supposed to be a defensive guy? I don't understand Mike Vrabel at all. Yeah, I think when you, t- when you talk about Vrabel, I think he really lets his coaches coach, I feel. I, I feel like he delegates a lot. I'm not sure if he calls the defense. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if he did or he didn't. But to me, his main job is to motivate his players. And, I mean, the proof's in the pudding for a lot of this for, – for this team is they do win football games. I mean, he's won more than he's lost. He beat New England in the playoffs. So that's something. But to me, yeah, maybe he's a little overrated just because of how we look at the AFC. I mean, we used to look at the AFC like, oh, man, you got Baltimore, you got Pittsburgh, you got New England – and then Kansas City came rolling around. Are we sure that Baltimore, Pittsburgh, um, New England, like, are, are we sure those teams are still good? Like, were they good when Vrabel started ascending? Like, mm-hmm. I think Pittsburgh last year was a flaming pile of garbage, especially towards the end there uh, last year, which the biggest mirage of all the records was Pittsburgh. I don't think Pittsburgh's good at all, but, you know, I digress. You can go so, watch, uh, t- check out our AFC North episode we did a couple weeks ago to hear Matt's thoughts on. Uh, actually, you don't hear Matt's yeah. thoughts on the Steelers because he was uh, Corey Richmond, but uh, now you're getting Matt's thoughts on the Steelers because you disagreed with our thoughts on the Steelers. That, that. Oh, yeah. I, I think the Steelers are way overrated coming into this year. Like, all right, you got Mike Tomlin, but a lot of players to me don't feel like. I, I'm not sure if he's connecting with that team. I do think there's a shelf life to certain things. And I mean, it's been a minute since he's won a Super Bowl, Randy. It's been a minute. So, so you, you pair that with a 40 year old plus quarterback. We don't know how good Juju Smith Schuster is. And I don't want to make this about Pittsburgh, but to me, you can favorably compare Pittsburgh to Tennessee. Cause I feel like it's kind of the same boat here. Both these teams feel like middle 500 teams. I think Pittsburgh's going to be worse than 500. I'd be shocked if they win six games, but to me, Tennessee's on that back nine of roster construction and the GM maybe needs to take a look at his job security because he hasn't built this team the way it should have been built because opposite of what the Colts are, the Colts are young still for a team with a lot of players. They're exceptionally young. The Titans are old and kind of like breaking down. And I'm not sure if that's on Vrabel or the GM. Good point. Um, To me, I guess for the Titans to truly be, one of these teams in the AFC that we have to fear. You need guys like Danico Autry to play really well. Jeffrey Simmons, who is a beast, mind you, physically. I mean, he is a beast. Yep. Harold Landry has had moments here and there. I think you need some more consistency out of him. Rashawn Evans, too. He also is a guy who I feel like in playoff games makes plays. Um, but you need Bud Dupree's coming off an ACL. I don't even know if you'll see him at the beginning of the season. But if you get him, you kind of need Bud Dupree to be his old self for this to make me feel better about the defense. 
You're bringing in a retread in Janoris Jenkins, who hasn't been very good since, you know, he was on the Giants 2016. Uh, Caleb Fairley, the back issues, you mentioned that. I mean, how can you feel confident in that guy until you see it? Uh, Kevin Byard, I feel like only plays well against the Cowboys. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I feel like that's about it. Um, so the, the Titans have serious issues on defense, and I need – what I like about Brable is that there's this persona and he sort of has this culture with him. And I think he has established that. I feel like the players carry his sort of personality on the field. And I think that is a good thing when you have the right attitude. And I think him being a former linebacker and winning with the Patriots, he understands what needs to be done. I just need to see him kind of put it all together now. And I think him losing coordinators and things, I think now it's his time to step up and say, this is my team. We're going to do this. And nonetheless, Ryan Tannehill, Derrick Henry, A.J. Brown, Julio Jones, for me, along with a solid offensive line, is good enough to win this division. Now I'm going to pull up their schedule. Um, I have a printable one, Harrison, in a second. Um, and it's similar, like, like all the other ones are, but uh, make it bigger. But there you go, uh, with Mr. Simmons on the cover of it. Um Still has some tough games and some winnable games here and there. And, but like you said, we've said this whole time, they're gifted the two wins against the Texans right away. <laughs> they, they split with the other two teams. That's four wins right there off the bat. I can't tell you what it means to be in a bad division uh, when you're one of these teams who I don't feel great about. Um, but if you're telling me they're going to lose to the Cardinals, the Seahawks, the the Bills, the Chiefs, the, the Rams – the Saints, the Patriots, like I wouldn't be shocked at any of that. Like I, if, if they're sitting there at eight and nine or, you know, even worse, I'm not going to be shocked because I think the Titans have serious flaws. Yeah, I, I think you take a look at the schedule. It's not favorable at the end either. Um, if yeah. Jacksonville gets on a roll, that could be the game that they end up splitting since I believe that's at Jacksonville. Um I can't see what it says on the bottom of the screen. I'm not sure if the dark is away or home. Um, yes, the home is dark, away is the way. Okay. All right. So, I don't know. Pittsburgh, that should be a win. You take a look at San Francisco. I think San Francisco is going to be better than what people think. I think Miami's going to be a tough out. They're losing to Kansas City. They're losing to Buffalo. I think they split with Indianapolis. I, I could see them losing to the Cardinals. I don't think that's an easy game at all. I think they lose to Seattle. I think they lose to the Rams. So uh, I'm going to go on the record. I'm going to say eight and nine for this uh, Tennessee Titans team. So then you have the Colts winning the division then. I do. All right. Look, I, I mean, I, the schedules for both of these teams, I don't think are great, but um, Tennessee is a little worse because they do have the Chiefs. And <laughs> I think that means something. I don't know what the, I think they, they'll play the Chiefs tough. I think that they're good at playing teams tough, but ultimately I think their flaws are going to get exposed by Kansas City. Um I think they're right, like in a similar spot with the Colts. I, I think that that nine and eight range is the right way here. So to me, I honestly, it's a to, it's a coin toss for me who wins the division. And I'll give the edge to Tennessee. I just I don't know what it is. I just think I like them a little bit more. But I also think they have to win the division this year. I think that the Colts have a longer span here to be good than I think Tennessee does. So uh, I'm gonna go Tennessee. I wouldn't bet on it, but I don't feel great about it. But I'll say the Titans with a division maybe at ten and seven, but I also could see nine and eight as well. Um, this division, man, I'll tell you, this is, this one is one of the more brutal ones that we have to do. Um, but then, uh, you know, we got past it here and now next week we're going to do, uh, NFC East, right? I mean, you're not going to be with us next year, next week, right? I have to find a partner for NFC East week. 
Yeah, unfortunately, I am going to be a traveling man with a traveling band. So I will be out of the office all of next week. So I'm mm -hmm. sure we will leave it in capable hands with you, Randy, and whoever you so desire. Well, I have a feeling it'll be our friend Vince Mercandetti, and we'll be talking a lot about Giants football. So uh, we'll, uh, we'll, that'll be fun. But Matt, before we get to our show next Tuesday, why don't you tell us about all the other podcasts we have under our life group umbrella? Absolutely. So tomorrow, Wednesday, we have Dong City with Vince Mercandetti and Henry Maldonado Jr. Um, Yankees had a bad series. I'm sure they're going to be licking some wounds. Um, excuse making. You know, oh. all, all the fixings. Oh, please. <laughs> Mr. My team's the most injured team of all time. I don't want to hear it. Not just this year. No, no not all time. Uh, but the injury bug has been biting the White Sox hard. And then on Thursday, we have the Workshoot Wrestling Podcast with Corey Richmond and Jason Brooks. Always look forward to it. And man, the wrestling world is a weird place right now, Randy. I, <laughs> I don't know if it's up or if it's down or sideways. I just, well, whatever. I just go to them to be informed of what's going on so I can keep up with conversations. And then on Friday, we have the Ball is Life podcast with Leon Tompkins and Jacob Anthony Moses. The Milwaukee Bucks versus the Phoenix Suns in the NBA Finals. Game one is tonight. They'll play game two before they go on the air on Friday. I cannot wait for their synopsis when the Suns are up 2-0 on those stinking deer. Oh, Milwaukee. Hey, can I just make sure we a uh, correction on there? It's Basketball Life. Basketball Life. Oh, it's, and it's called the Step Back Podcast. That's the Step sense. Back Podcast with... Leon and Jacob, you know, I, all these group names, I'm, I'm old, I'm tired, I'm going to retire soon, um, I'm not sure if you guys can see it, I got a lot of gray in my beard here, so this is what happens when you get old, it's a painful process, but no, I, I look forward to hearing their analysis of what happens when, you know, the Phoenix Suns go up 2-0 on the Milwaukee Bucks, then we obviously have the Total Basis Podcast with Felipe Malicio and Sean Connor Flannery should be pretty interesting here, Randy, because I need some help. Mm. Um, I talk about them a lot. My catcher, Yasmani Grandal, is now out four to six weeks, as I previously mentioned. My entire outfield's on the IL. Um, Jared Kelnick got sent down to the minors a couple of about a month ago and now I'm stuck I'm I'm in dire straits Randy I'm in dire straits it's all bad it's all a problem well yeah that sounds like something Joe Girardi would say uh <laughs> well you know I feel for you but at least you know you, your, your White Sox are still in control of that division it appears and you're doing much better in our bets which is a good transition and you know, today's date, you know, Matt, I just want to go and say this quick. July 6th is a historically great day for me. And it's a random date in the calendar. It doesn't have any significance anniversary-wise, birthday-wise. But on this date, 21 years ago, speaking of feeling old, I went to my first ever big league game at Yankee Stadium. And it was the Yankees and the Orioles. And the Yankees won 13-9. to And it was one of the best games ever. My dad and my mom took me to see the game. I was hooked for life at that point. I wish the Yankees would brought me any kind of joy that they brought me that day this year because they don't do that anymore. Um, you know, I went to the game Saturday against the Mets. It was my, quite possibly the worst baseball game I'd ever seen in my entire life. They were getting no hit and after five. Uh, they would lose eight to three. I had to deal with Mets fans chirping me. This was, It was a brutal day for me in the Bronx. 
Uh, overall, good holiday weekend. Brutal day for me. And the yeah, brutal season for the Yankees now. They're 42 and 41. Um, not looking good for me in the bed, man. I might as well just start coughing up to whatever it is I owe you at this point because uh, I've lost all faith. Yeah, it, it feels like the Yankees are nearing the sunset here with the Red Sox. And even Toronto's pulling away now, too. So it's it looks like that dirt's getting a little bit heavier on this grave. So. <laughs> Hey, with the White Sox, you just never know. Cleveland is a pest, and hopefully they start deciding to sell. I think Minnesota's buried. So to me, the White Sox will be uh, carrying me to victory on this bet, hopefully, and then get their asses beat in the first round because they're going to have no available players the way these injuries keep on piling up. Weird how that happens, right? Every time you're ready to win here, uh, it it feels like that's the way it happens, but... All right, that's a lot of baseball talk. Uh, you know, shout out to J- July 6th, the date on the calendar that's always been pretty good to me. Uh, but hey, number 64 in the books, Matt Bushnell, we'll see you in what, a couple of weeks? So we're going to do Monday the 19th to just, to, you know, cooperate with your traveling man schedule. Yes, yes. Um, I'm, I'm going to go catch a baseball game on the 20th. I do apologize. I know it's terrible. I choose baseball over football. Um, please forgive me, everyone. But yes, Monday, July 19th. Thank you for adjusting your schedule, Randy. Any idea what division? That might be the AFC East. I got I got a lot of ammunition for these Patriot fans. We'll have to get maybe Jacob and uh, maybe a Patriot fan on the show. We'll see. Uh, that'll be a good one. Uh, I'm looking forward to that episode. And uh, you know what? And it's always good to have you because now it's summer months. How dare you enjoy your summer? You know, I don't get to get you every week, but you know, that's okay. Um, but nonetheless, number 64 in the books, Matt, and we'll talk to you again in a couple of weeks. Um, do you have any parting words for the audience before we say goodbye? Since we won't hear from you in about 13 days. Stay hydrated. It's hot out there, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, words from the wise. We've got to love it. Old man, you're wise. You're getting wiser as you get older there, man. I love to see it. All right. Well, that does do it for this episode of Football Life Presents the Audible. Uh, thank you for joining us on Facebook Live, on YouTube, all of the audio only platforms. We greatly appreciate it. And wherever you may be and however you may be listening, thank you for making us just a small part of your day that never goes unnoticed. Uh, I'm Randy Hammond on behalf of Matt Bushel saying stay hydrated. We'll talk to you guys soon.